Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. This season's podcast is sponsored by a great new startup called Tweak Life. They have built a well-being hub full of useful information of tweaks that you can make, including mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, managing addictions, improving your finances and even the menopause. The last few years have been really tough for us all. And with this in mind, Louise created this hub hoping to help individuals and businesses offer this to their employees and apply some of these tweaks to make a difference to people's lives. This is free to use, so for more information, please go to tweaklife.co.uk. My guest today on One for the Road was born in 1962 in London, England. His father, an alcoholic, was an actor and appeared in several roles including Empire Strikes Back and Forty Towers. Since he has given up alcohol eight years ago, his life has dramatically changed for the better and he now runs a video production company recording a series of animations including a powerful one based on alcohol addiction. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Quint Good morning, Quint. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. It's an absolute delight to have you on. How are you today? Morning, Dave. Yeah, I'm I'm well, thanks. I'm uh, in uh, sunny Germany at the moment uh, on a bit of work and a bit of pleasure. And it's uh, it's a glorious day here. Thanks. And you've got a lovely backdrop there. It looks really beautiful. Is it? Is it? Oh, yeah, it's green it's green so and you've got a lovely shirt on i've already commented on that before we started <laughs> so it's my kind of style that is but i appreciate you coming on and the reason um i asked you is because i found your work on instagram uh and your incredible animations which we can mm. talk about later on but they they really hit me hard actually because they're so accurate and uh I spoke to you as well, and you've got a fascinating story. So I thought I'd get you on and you could share with the listeners. And yeah. uh, it generally starts back from when you grew up and um, where and what started your drinking, really, if you don't mind me starting there. Well, I'll give it a go. It's obviously it's uh, the origin story of the drinking is always uh, a little bit of a mix, isn't it, with um, with genetics and uh, nature and nurture and all of that. I'll, I and and I think it's probably a a, per, a sober person's part of their quest is and understandably is to try and find out what the origins of it all were. But I mean, I've, I've, I'll give it a go, Dave. Yeah. So I um, I was so my name is Quint Boa. Uh, it's an unusual name, uh, and partly part of that is because my father uh, was a Canadian. And his name was Bruce Boa, uh, and um, he was. Uh, an actor he passed away in 2000 in, in 2004 uh, he was uh an actor um who was in faulty towers he was the american who wanted a wardle salad in faulty towers he was in full metal jacket he was in octopussy he was in empire strikes back um but i digress we'll go back to the beginning so so i was born in uh, 1962 my father and mother uh, bought a house uh, in Kew, in uh, in 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 Richmond, sort of just outside of Richmond, in in London, Greater London, which was the family home, and I was raised there till I was about nineteen years old, and um, it was a pretty tricky environment. I mean, outside looking in, you'd think it was all roses, but it really wasn't. Like so many families i think the family dynamic was very erratic and it was very um 
tumultuous, uh, in large part because my father was an alcoholic and he uh, was um, bedridden uh, a lot of the time. He, his drink was whiskey. And uh, he was when he was sober, he was said, uh, on the very few times where he tried to get sober. I think they lasted for about one or two weeks. He was just terribly depressed. I mean, we'd say now he's just completely hung over and getting over it. But anyway, so he was he was uh, a ra- raging alcoholic. He managed to stay sober enough sometimes for jobs. So um, there were th- and in particular, there were three jobs which he managed to stay sober to do. One was for Daz Soap. The other one was for Samarit Cigarettes. And one was for uh, ski yogurt. And back in the days, which we're talking about the early 60s, um, you would get paid roughly three grand for a commercial. Bearing in mind, a house those days was probably 12 grand. Um, you know, he, he hit the jackpot, basically. And that's how come we got that house. So uh, the he got sober when I was uh, seven years old. And from then on, uh, there was a little bit of a uh, bit more stability in the home. My mother, uh, when I was seven, had my sister. So she was home because up to that point, she was going out to work to support us uh, because Bruce's money was was fairly intermittent. And basically, he just bought the house. So it was, uh, there's an expression, fur coat, no knickers. Hey, um, yeah, you know, yeah. So we had the house. We have bugger all else. I'm not sure how much I can swear on this. So um, that's where... That's where I was up until about seven years old. Then we we grew up. I went to secondary school, uh, comprehensive, and and studied there. Uh, and then I um, I I dabbled with a, a bit of uh, marijuana at the time, uh, and I had a really bad effect. Uh, I think my kids would probably call it a whitey, um, and I just had a little freak out on it. And I didn't touch drugs at all um, from then on in, which is kind of a blessing and a curse. Uh, a blessing because I think if I ever got into cocaine or, or, or whatever, I think I just would have been lost. But um, I, I didn't. But what I did get into was booze. And um, I had my first drinks when I was about 15, 16 years old. I was doing martial arts at the time. And uh, afterwards, all the guys, I was quite young, and uh, all the guys were obviously too young to drink, really. And uh, the guys afterwards, and men, would go and have a pint uh, or two in the local pub. And that's where I started to drink with them. And straight away from the first few drinks, um, I felt this sort of sense of ease about myself and um, a sense of, of oh, okay, hail fellow, well met. You know, this is all right. We've trained, we're drinking. It's, it's all right. It was a, it was a part of the, part of the, the uh, ritual of, of training was, was drinking. And um, then, as I got older, drinking became a part of going out with friends uh, into Richmond. And I think really from, from an early age, I drank to not, not, not like my friends who were having a drink. I was drinking to have three or four pints of, I think it was a beer called ESB at the time. And that's what I drink, those beers. And then I'd start drinking wine and, and I met my uh, girlfriend, now wife of some 40 years there and, and i don't remember she was drinking she'd have a, a glass two glasses of wine and i'd be like on three, you know three or four pints i wasn't driving so you know i could get back on the bus back home anyway um that sort of trajectory uh continued with with the drinking so i mean it was a daily thing it was usually about uh two bottles of wine and a and a pint of and a, and a couple of pints was my sort of daily intake from about 18 19 years onwards so then personally what i did was i i uh i got um i didn't do it go to university i got a, an hnd in business studies um and uh, with a view to doing something i didn't know what i didn't have any sort of direction so i got involved in film extra work my father was by you know was an actor so i just thought oh i could see extras doing extra work and i'll do that so I used to do extra work and it was really well paid and it was paid cash as well, Dave. Can you imagine cash? Thanks very much, Quint, 20, 40, 60, 80, you know, oh, it was lovely. And I very, I did that for about four or five years and, and um, maybe more, maybe six years. And it was great because at the time Thatcher had, had reduced the uh, taxes on film companies in the UK. So when it, if you think back to the eighties, there were an awful lot of films being made from the big, big films like Batman, the first Batman's Henry V, obviously full metal jacket. 
and a lot of these big movies and I was an extra on all of them you know and a lot of them you know when I say an extra it wasn't just one day it was maybe as a two as a three week gig I mean I remember once I was working on Henry V in the morning sword fighting at dawn at Shepherd and Studios and then in the evening uh that was a bit camp wasn't it but anyway uh <laughs> it's fine Shall we go oh, more camp more yeah um yeah all right and um and then I'd get on the M25 go around to Pinewood Studios where they were doing the night shoots for Gotham City and we we do that you know and that was i mean i was earning well in fact <clears throat> i tell you how much i was earning because that was a deposit for a flat which i uh, i bought in richmond of all places which i bought for 35 grand this is 1982 imagine that 35 grand for for a i think one bedroom flat so i bought that got out of of the, of the home and and that when when i got out of that family dynamic things were like oh thank goodness you know there there was there wasn't this this bruce wasn't there he was still even though he was uh sober he was what i i think some of us would call a dry drunk i mean he was you know really narcissistic and 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 he's a physically large man and i i experienced him as being fairly sort of aggressive and um and overbearing although he was as nice as pie in in some situations and you know he was a massive advocate of aa what he did was he i mean just as a as a sort of sidebar he got sober through aa um and he cleaved to aa for the rest of his life and and he became very strong advocate of aa and and was a bit of a marmite character within aa because i think when he shared he kind of stood up and he lectured i don't know if, if for you or any of your listeners of uh, know those sorts of sharers where they they speak for everyone mm-hmm. you know we are all here today and bill w said this and it was a little bit of a sermon now his father was a preacher bruce's father was a preacher so i'm wondering and i've always wondered if a part of Bruce got into the the the, the spiritual side, God, you know, literally God as an omnipresent, omniscient figure, rather than as an acronym. I mean, I like to think of it as you know the great outdoors or a group of drunks or a general order direction. I mean, he was full on God, um, and he he uh, and he he stayed within AA and and all of his life, you know, even on his deathbed, he died of cancer um and he never he never asked for another drink and he was very very supportive of of other people who were trying to get sober cannot take that away from him you know he did a great job there so with my own story i i um i got involved in extra work i i i bought the flat i continued doing extra work and then i got involved in 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 camera work and i started working at the bbc on on light entertainment shows like uh top of the pops national lottery and so forth um, I also then got involved personally in in doing a, an MA, a, a, a diploma in an MA in, in psycholo- psychology. My thesis was on uh, addiction. Ha ha. So I'm sitting there with a glass of red writing up my thesis on addiction. Shameful. Um, and then um, whilst I was, doing the, so I was doing the camera work and I was studying psychology, then I set up my own private practice where I was dealing with a thing called critical incident debriefing, which is what you'd call now a trauma therapy. And I was also doing a little bit with addiction. And then in 2000, it became possible to uh, edit video on computers. And uh, I got a computer and I got a, a mini DV camera uh, with, um, which did, um, mini DV tape. And I filmed, uh, experiential marketing groups. Basically, it's a highfalutin phrase for, for boys and girls handing out products, you know, like Actimel or, or hair products, shampoos. And, uh, and then I do a video, a VHS video. You're too young to remember those days. But oh, basically, it was a video. Come on. Come on. <laughs> and, um, and, and we put little metrics on it, you know, how, what the footfall was, how many got handed out, where they got handed out. And that went to the PR from the to the marketing agency to the PR agency, and the PR agency said, "Where are you getting these from? You know, it's from us." So then we started working with the PR agencies. Then we started working with the PR agencies' companies because they liked it as well, and that got us into, you know, for example, we went from touchdown promotions to to um, good relations to Pantene, and Pantene was based in in um, in Woking, well, Weybridge, just outside of. So, so while we were doing that, we were making a little bit of money, making a little bit of money, making, we needed an office and we, we, by great good fortune, I and mean, this is really quite a, uh, if you believe in an on almighty, this happened. We needed 30,000 pounds to get an office and we found a cow shed, which we could convert. We needed 30,000 pounds. And within, I think a week or two, we got a job filming the restoration of St. Paul's Cathedral for 30,000 pounds. Wow. Um, 
and it, yeah, I know. We just put it down, bought the place, and 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 we ne- it was a one and done. We never got any repeat work. It wasn't we did a bad job? That was just what they wanted, and that was it. Yeah. But we had our office, and then we just tarted it up. So this gets us to 2007. 2007, the financial crash happened. We were working for a company called Bear Stearns, which is an old American bank. It got, got gobbled up um, by uh, J.P. Morgan, um, who we still work to with to the present day. And then you can really take a line from that. So by now, 2007, we were working with the, the team had gone from two people to about five. And um, we started work. We were working in f- the finance sector, the IT sector, the healthcare sector. And then in 2014, animation came along and uh, it was possible now to animate five different, initially one sort, which is just motion graphics. But then as time went on, you could animate hand-drawn animation like Walt Disney. Uh, You could animate stop-motion animation um, like Wallace and Gromit. You could do photorealistic 3D animation like, you know, Toy Story, CGI. And going back to drinking, during that that period from year 2000 all the way up to probably 2012 2013 i was just drinking more and more and more heavily and um basically the, it was a it was a coolant for me i was so uh what you call nowadays a startup i was so trying to get the startup going you know and trying to get money in so that i could pay the staff so that i could i could put the next step forward and win this piece of business and win this piece of business and do this edit and and you know it's red wine white wine you know client lunches you know and and uh, uh and trying to get the whole thing going and at the same time you know i had two kids uh which you know to this day and i i think i speak maybe for for a lot of parents you know i i still when i do a retrospective i'm not sure I would give myself a 10 out of 10 for exactly how I was as a father to those kids who I love dearly. They're with me on holiday here today. I mean, I remember, and I, I, I'll take this moment of shame to my, to my grave uh, on my, my son's birthday. Um, I was so pissed um, that I was, uh, the, 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 the labor was taking so long that I lay down on the floor next to where Karen was, was in labor and I slept. And so the midwife, when she was delivering, kicked me awake. I woke up uh, just in time to see Finley get born and to cut the cord. And I mean, but the point about that was, how was I drinking? Well, I was on the scooter going to and from the house and going to the offlands on the scooter, pissed while my wife was giving birth to, you know, I just, yeah, I just shudder to think, you know, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. But that was part of the course, you know, the, 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 the drink driving was there a lot. Um, the behavior was, was always f- fun. I was a fun drunk. I'll give myself credit for that. I was never aggressive. I wasn't belligerent and never got really into fights. I would just get pissed. And, and, and as I got older, we're talking now sort of, sort of mid forties, I get tired. I get sleepy. I was, you know, I, I sort of peak too soon in a social situation and then start to think, you know, start to keep drinking to try and keep up with it. And I couldn't do it. And then people around me were, were 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 still making sort of vibrant sort of conversation, and I was like repeating myself and stuff, you know. Uh, and then, so um, what happened was, I mean, how I stopped. I mean, I had a few rock bottoms. I mean, I never got caught for drink driving, thank God. I mean, I got stopped and breathalyzed, but miraculously, I I was sober when I when I got stopped. Passed out in a few tricky situations. Um, I had a couple of bad falls, um, but. Honestly, I mean, I, you know, I, I do think I sort of, in inverted commas, kind of got away with it. I, I still got my job. I still had my marriage. I still had my kids. I still had my sanity. I still had a clean record, criminal record, you know, and I, and essentially what happened was one, this is eight, eight years ago, eight, eight and a bit years ago, I, I was in Richmond Park with some friends and I just thought, what the hell am I doing? What the hell am I doing? I just have got to stop this. And, uh, because I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I would wake up in the morning, I would have a drink. I, I would get through the day limping along, trying to, trying to keep the whole show on the road, using alcohol as a way to try and keep some equilibrium. But you know, the alcohol, you know, you, you have a drink at 11 o'clock by half 11, you're coming off it. You need another one. You'd have to keep that buzz going. The amounts are going up and up and up. Things like sleeping were getting ridiculous because I needed to wake up to have a drink to carry on sleeping. You know, thank God I wasn't into drugs. So I wasn't taking any kind of, you know, sedatives in order to g- g- get me to sleep. And 
I, I um, just before this podcast, I, I, I did a drive to the bakery for the kids and there was a massive advert up there of advertising beer. This is in Germany. And I just think back and I, I feel I feel physically nauseous thinking back to those times of 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 just limping along in life. My quality of life was just awful. And uh, I was I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I could stop. I didn't know how I could carry on. I didn't want to go to AA. This is maybe interesting for some of your listeners. I didn't want to go AA because that's what Bruce was. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be under Bruce's shadow. I didn't want to go into an AA meeting. Oh, you're Bruce's son. No, I didn't want that. And, and a couple of times I went to an AA meeting, they were talking about flipping their cars or beating their wives or, 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 or losing their jobs or, or going to prison. And I thought, well, that never happened to me. You know, so I can't be an alcoholic, right? Straight past or bins on the way home. But but somehow, somehow I I stopped one day, two days, and I got to an AA meeting in Richmond, which I I'd still to this day highly recommend it. It's in uh, under the bridge at, at Richmond upon Thames. Um, it's a fantastic. Mm. Have you been there? I know, I know yeah. of it quite well. Yeah. It's a it's an amazing meeting. It's it's quite a uh, humanist. It's not Bible yeah. Bible thumping. And, uh, it's un, so it's actually under the arches. So you have the arches of the, of the bridge. You're in there and, and we just light a couple of candles and, and talk. It, when I went there, there was probably four or five people and now it's probably 30 or something. It's, it's really grown since I've been there. So, um, so then what happened, um, dear listeners was that I started to really think about what the dynamics of the situation were and 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 how i was going to go forward with this i replaced alcohol with fitness so i started going to the gym a lot and uh and and training uh cycling as well and i i white i white knuckled it for a bit i didn't do the steps and i i white knuckled it and was gradually starting to understand that's the other thing i did so i studied it i studied alcohol and I had some some past with this with psychotherapy and and actually with a with a practice. And I I studied alcohol. And I, I you know is it an addiction? Is it a disease? You know is it a choice? Is it you know what are the what are the actual what's the latest research in it? That's what I did. I got really involved in that and tried to try to get a you know intellectually get a grip on what the hell is 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 going on with me. But all the time as I was getting sober, you know, after after days turned into weeks, turned into months, I was feeling better and better and better. And I started to feel sort of quite repelled by alcohol. I hated what it had done to me. I hated what it had made me. And and people were relating to me in a different way. Why world was changing, you know? Because I was I changed, I was changing what I was who I was and my relationship to myself. And it was it was having an effect on how people were relating to me. You know, and and st- things started to come out. You know, I, I thought I was getting away with it. Of course, I wasn't getting away with it. I wasn't getting away with, you know, being sober at work. You know, they if they, I I mean my my trying to hide it was putting a bottle of white wine in a cupboard downstairs in the kitchen. I mean, they could smell it on me. How many mints do you have to, you know, have at eleven o'clock in the morning? I wasn't getting away with anything. Who was I kidding? And then. um uh, so, so my kids were relating to me differently. My wife was relating to me differently. I had AA to go to. I had my my training, and of course, work was there as well. And then I was better at work. I was, you know, there were a lot of firsts. There were a lot of client meetings first, no booze. Some clients fell away because I wasn't, you know, a client meeting wasn't about getting pissed. It was about, you know, just having a laugh, but just not getting drunk or or having a couple of drinks, just not going out on some almighty bender, and. What I what I then did was I I I then and I I then got into animation. I could see what was happening with animation. I could see that 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 things like mobile phones and social media required more and more content. A lot of that content was was quite sort of esoteric. It was a lot of you know a lot of medical stuff, a lot of IT stuff. Was video couldn't show what it does. I mean, if I you try and think about what a mobile phone does, say talks to the cloud. You can't show like you have a voiceover. This an Apple phone talks to the cloud. Well, you know, what does it do? You know, you have a you'd, you'd have a shot of the phone, you'd have a shot of I don't know, a cloud, and you'd you just pan up. No, with a with animation, you can have the phone, you can have it, the data traveling backwards and forwards. You can go into the phone, you can show the bit of the phone that talks to the cloud. You know, you can 
you can show the features and benefits of that phone in a situation, you know, whether you're, whether you're on a, on a, you know, traveling around at work or whether you're, and so the cost of animation in some cases really became an option for clients. And I kind of went on this mission to explain why animation is really uh, the way forward for a lot of clients. And I still believe that to this day. I mean, I don't think we've even scratched the surface around animation yet. So I introduced animation to our existing clients and then I, I, I'm building out to this day, building out uh, animation to, to new clients because they don't know people, people my age think sometimes, especially in this country, in Germany and in, in Switzerland, often people think that, you know, direct marketing is the latest thing, you know, or PowerPoint is the latest thing. It's, it's, um, it's not, uh, you know, that the, it, it, animation is, is, is where it's at. And the sooner that people wake up to that, the, you know, anyway, this is just going off on a evangelical animation thing. This is about booze. But anyway, the point is that I got sober, animation was there and very quickly that kernel exploded. And now the animation part of the company is probably five times larger than, uh, than the video part of the company. Brexit happened, um, which meant that that we had to open up an office in the Netherlands in order to continue to service our clients in Europe because they couldn't deal with us uh, in the UK as easily. We opened up an office in New York, which is going great guns now. Uh, and then subsequently, only a few months ago, now opened up an office in Los Angeles, and that's that's doing well too. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I put that down to sobriety. I mean, you can look at the promises in AA and go, okay, if I had a magic wand eight years ago and I was asked to wave it, what and what would my dreams be for the business to be going great, for the marriage to still be intact, for my kids to still, you know, have a relationship with me, for me to be able to drive around with a clean license, you know, that is great. And that's what, and I guess final step in that was that because of COVID, um, I saw that uh, what was happening in terms of mental health um, and uh, using uh, animation. I've, I've done a load of, uh, I've done 10, I think, videos, animations on addiction, on on trauma, on depression, on drugs, on anger um, and, and on anxiety and on, on our relationship to ourselves. And those animations I, I put up on, a, on the understanding page on, on Shoot You and there also is a link to it on my Instagram at Quint Boa, where you can you can click that link and either download the videos for your own personal use or to upload or to or to just watch. Um, and and please feel free to comment on on how they could be better. And those animations have been downloaded thousands of times. The the number one animation, or the, there's two big ones. Uh, addictions in there. There's a there's a good um, animation on 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 alcoholism uh, and addiction. But the two big ones are anxiety and anger. Uh, the anger one is there because teachers are downloading it to give to their kids who are acting out some of their anger, especially post-COVID, now they're back in the classroom. And it's a way of introducing the idea that it wasn't the situation that made you hit your fellow student. It was a fact that at home you're not being listened to as well as you might be. It was a fact you can't actually relate to anybody. Or, or it just it just opens if it opens up a conversation in a much easier way than than a teacher sitting down and giving somebody a pamphlet. Kids can relate to animation. I think I think we all relate to animation in a very different way than we do to real life. The anxiety animation has just exploded and it's rising. And I, obviously there's no clue, so guessing why. You've got the current sort of uh, economic crisis at home with gas. You know, it's heat or eat. There's the uh, inflation and, and all the rest of it. And I think um, if you want to start talking about the roots of, of alcoholism, I mean, I think part of it is 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 a general anxiety about what is the meaning and purpose of 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 my life, and and a large part of that's economic now, economic fear as to as to what's coming down the tracks, and and that generates anxiety, and and uh, and that's another reason why why I did the anxiety animation. Again, there's it's, it's free to air, and it's just personal thoughts written as a psychotherapist. Well, when I saw your um, one on addiction, someone actually sent it to oh, me yeah? uh, and they said, uh, yeah, wow, Dave, you've got to see this. And I watched it and it blew me away because it was so accurate. <laughs> um, and, I, and I don't know if you've seen the um, animation called Nuggets. No. Um, 
that is fantastic it's simple it's five minutes long uh and it's a little bit like the uh red bull ever where alcohol gives you wings uh, yeah you know and it starts with this bird walking along this long line and there's a little golden nugget and it leans down oh, yeah. and takes a sip yeah that yeah one. i've seen that yeah no that's really really powerful yeah. right yeah. and it stays with you um, and that's with your animations as well. I think because they are so descriptive and short and whatever, and you watch it and you go, oh, my God. And and what I was going to lead on to say, Quinn, is that I haven't said anything in 35 minutes because I haven't wanted to because your story is so fascinating and articulate. But I relate. I've ticked so many boxes. We're at a very similar age, and I know Richmond really, really well. I know Q really well around the corner. And also with the bit you said, you know, you wasn't really into drugs because whether it's a, I don't know, I know it's around cocaine and whatever, um, but I, I never really got into it, right? And and you got to a certain age where you started drinking and, and peaked and then thought, oh, I just want to go to bed. Mm. That's when people took the old coke and whatever yeah. and carried on with me. I never got into it. So there's so many things that I relate to. And I was thinking about when you said uh, I was walking around Richmond Park thinking, what am I doing? Mm. Imagine if I bumped into you, right? So you're eight years sober. I'm coming up to four, mm. right? I was still drinking. And we had a conversation and you said, you know, I've got a flat in Richmond or, or whatever you was doing then and this business here and that. I would think, God, this guy's got his act together. <laughs> I wish I was him. Not knowing Actually, what you and this is what we say about fur coat no knickers. We all put this external view on that we're all right, but inside, so many people are actually not mm. because we hide this mm. terrible addiction through shame. Uh, and you know, we 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 put on our nice shirts and put our fish products in our hair, <laughs> and we we go to work right, and we're like, hi, every you know. Uh, actually, underneath, we're we're quite broken, yeah. you yeah. know. Is it this 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 uh, awful addiction we got? That's that's why I'm I'm you know getting a bit bit teary when you say things like that, uh, Dave. You know because the 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 curative the curative part of talking about it with a fellow person is that if you wrote a transcript of your experiences, I could read it and I go, "That's me." I could have written that. I can give that piece of paper, that transcript to anybody in an AA meeting or probably anybody listening to this today. And they'd read that and they'd chime with it. Something would be there. And yeah. I don't know what the hell that is, right? I don't know why we, this, whatever this is, hit us, it hit me anyway. I don't talk for everyone, but, but it's so tangible and it's, and it's so, uh, powerful, right? That, that, um, but the curative part of it is that recognition. Yeah, I can see you. I can see you. You yeah. can see me. And there's a Johnny Cash song called "The Beast in Me," which, which is for me, it's the last. There's the ultimate song on booze, but it's that that recognition in in your in your other people who've got the same situation that that, that they see it in me. I mm. see it in them, and it's like it's a just a relief. My wife, my. Yeah. My wife doesn't understand it. My wife doesn't understand no. it. My 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 kids don't get it, you know. But you get it. Other people, hopefully, will, will, will get. It. And it's that that keeps us on the straight and narrow. Yeah, like I'm a coach, so when someone comes on for their first session, right, and uh, they start talking, nine times out of ten, they start crying. Oh, yeah, because they know I understand. Yeah. And it's like you coming to me and saying, "Oh, Dave, you know." I've just bet my uh, whole week's salary on um, bloody blind bear, the horse on the derby, and I've lost everything. And that, and I'll be like, what? Yeah. What did you do? Huh? You know, I don't, I, I don't get it. You know, yeah. but if you said to me, I've just downed a bottle of bloody wine before work, and I, and I'm going to drop. It's like I I totally hear you, and that's the difference. And I'm like you as well, right? So I've written a couple of things down here about um, how you got into your cycling when you stopped, and that's what I did. I just threw myself into sport, mm. right? I also started educating myself around the science of it because I'm real nosy, right, about myself, and, and I really wanted to know. Like, I had a childhood trauma when I was 14. Mm. 
Um, I wasn't in the in crowd at school. I was pretty quiet and insular. And all of a sudden, I started getting into the in crowd. They accepted yeah. me. So where I was rejected at 14, I was then accepted, but into the wrong crowd, right? So I was up the shops drinking and they were getting into fights, but I was known as the drinker. Yeah. You know, that was my role, my acting role. Yeah. And um, it carried on. And then that become my persona of the drinker. You know, like that was my name, like in um, Usual Suspects, Mr. Black, Mr. Pink, and I was Mr. Drinker. And that carried on throughout my life until I started not going out and it was left with myself on my own drinking. And I used to drink to blackout yeah. because... I had collaborated all these thoughts throughout my life and they become so overwhelming that the only way of turning that volume button down was by blacking yeah, out. Definitely. So I got to a place like you walking a pivotal part, like where you was walking in Richmond Park, like whatever you believe in up there, the greater power mm. looked down at me and said, Dave, mate, if you don't sort this out now, yeah. <laughs> you're going elsewhere. Yeah. You know, it, it was like that voice. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about the um, model of disease yeah. and what, you know, yeah. I, that fascinates me, all that business yeah. and that. And we, we haven't got time to get into that. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating how we're a similar age. We come from a similar area and we're walking the same path. We haven't met each other for our whole life. And this is the first time we met on this podcast. Mm. And I feel like I've known you for, for years already. Yeah. Yeah, but that's but that's it. I mean, psychically, we we we're fellow pilgrims, right? I mean, mm. whatever the, the the initiating factors were and the accelerants, we we got to a point. We had a course correction, and here we are. And and part of it is like, what the hell just happened? What was that all about? I mean, I look back mm. at some of my behavior and go, why did you do that? What was the sense in that? You know, don't didn't you? didn't you work out the risks involved but that's you know there's from that I, I like to think that having gone through that and and having the humility around it you know I can then listen to someone else's story if they if they're if they're still drinking or if they've just stopped drinking and say hey look you know what there is an alternative how however mm. black it seems however awful it looks you know if you just can you just adjust ad address this one thing you've got a shot i i paid i paid my dues i can i i feel i have something to say on that subject and 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 not say it in a you know i managed to do it you know say it in a in a, in a humble empathic way and that that hopefully you know one in five people will maybe take something from it and you know change their life and, and the life of those other people around them well, that's why I do this, Quinn, yeah. because the amount of people that say, do you know what, I listened to Blah Blah's podcast and it really, there was something, you know, it's like planting a seed. You know, you just plant that seed and it makes people stop and think, mm, I can really relate to that, yeah. you know, and that and that grows within them. And then they they start to ask themselves questions. And, you know, it. this is the power of these podcasts is that, they're all relatable, mm. you know, our life stories. Like I'm relating to you throughout this whole podcast. It's like, God, oh, yeah, that was me. That was me. Um, and interesting to say about that, um, AA thing in, um, Richmond. I've been told about that one a few times, but I, my experience of AA was right at the beginning because yeah. I didn't really know what else there was, yeah. you know, because I'm not, I'm, I haven't really looked into it. And someone said to me, look, why don't you come with me to this AA meeting, right? And I went there, but I love churches as well. So the ambience of walking in this place was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I love it here. And people getting up and telling their stories week two, week three, week four. It's like the same people getting up and saying the same stories. And then uh, one day I mentioned I was going camping and I was going to take a couple of um, Anakin Zeros with me. Oh, yeah. And uh, they all jumped on me and I felt really, really like, oh, what's this? You know, it was like, really, I'm not comfortable. Yeah, because they, you know, understandably for some, um, the old alcohol free drinks, you know, if they're triggering, they stay away. But I was okay with them at the mm -hmm. time, you know, and I felt a bit pressurized. And when I left there, I thought, I want to go to the bloody pub and that. So I started then getting into the social media side and whatever, but, 
And then I had quite um, a poor view of AA through my own experience. Yeah. And now, coming up to four years, I'm going to start going to some meetings again because I'm more open-minded. And I'm the way I look at it is I mentioned your shirt earlier, right? And and most of these viewers won't see it, but it's a lovely colour purple with a lovely design on it, right? Yeah. And a very handsome man wearing Bless it, you. right? And um, But my attitude's changed. That we're we're going to go shopping, right, when you get back from Germany, and you're going to go into shop and say, oh, what do you think? I'll say, mm, it's not quite for me. And then I'll take you into my, it's not quite for me. And that's how it works with sobriety. You've got to find what works for you. You know, because it's not one size fits all, I think. And whether it's online groups, real life meetings, AA, smart recovery, coaching, mm. there's so many opportunities out mm. there now where they weren't in the days of Bruce mm. where it's that or nothing, mm. you know. And I, and I just think there's so many opportunities out there now which suit different people, especially after lockdown, yeah. that drinking's increased incredibly. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I am um, I didn't realize that there was like, for example, a commu- anything anything other than AA. Really, I didn't bother to look mm. until Instagram. Till I kind of got quite busy on Instagram with the company, and then when I started doing the animations, I set up the, my own Instagram account and and put the animations on there, and um, and I was I was amazed. I've met some fantastic people on Instagram. And it, and that's great because I think a lot of people with AA, they, and with, and with good reason, you know, a lot of it is, is Bible thumping and, and the group that I'm with and I'm, and I've been to others in Amsterdam uh, a couple of, couple of weeks ago. And it's, it's humanitarian, you know, it's, it's the, we are, this, this is the, it's the human condition. The human condition is, is such that, that if you put in a, a, a shit ton of advertising around booze, you can easily get seduced. And it can easily become a nice thing to try once in a while. And that can slip in with certain preconditions, which are as, as, as varied as there are people, can lead into, into an addictive behavior, which can have catastrophic consequences for, for them, mm. that person and the people around them. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, let's, if we go back to Amsterdam, and, um, for example, I, I, you'll like this story. So, I wanted to go to an AA meeting in Amsterdam and uh, I, I Googled it on my phone and there was the address. So I got on my bicycle and I cycled and there was this big building and uh, I, I rang on the doorbell and hello. And I said, hello, is this uh, sober sunrise? No, no, this is the, uh, the Dutch Royal family's residence. I said, oh so did they have a drink problem? No, they do not have a drink problem. You're looking for Alcoholics Anonymous. We get this all the time. It's down the road. So I go down the road and, uh, and there's, uh, there's, there's two girls and two guys sitting outside this house. And, you know, it's 7.30 in the morning. And I say, uh, you guys friends of Bill in English, you know, oh, they laughed at that. They thought, oh, yeah, we're all friends of Bill, you know, went into an AA meeting. But, but, and I, I talked to them about AA then. And, and I said, I said, where, where have you, you know, what's the score here? And they said, well, it's, it's a disease. It's a disease. You, if you have a disease, you go to the GP. The GP signs you off as being an addict, and you get a chunk of money to maintain your rent and everything else. Over here, oh, I know. Let's keep it in the air. Let's call it a disease. Let's call it a choice. You know, let's not actually underwrite any of this. Let's not actually be proactive at helping. And when you look at at CAMS now with children and young adults, you look at the National Health Service for mental health. It's a comorbidity addiction to so many things. And what's being done about it? Sweet FA, you know, you know, there's just a, you know, my animations, your podcasts and voluntary groups. And, and yeah. is it spoken about? No, there was a guy said to me the other day, there was a, a show on TV where everybody put on a post-it note, the mental illness they suffered from. It was, it was to raise mental, mental awareness, yeah, depression, OCD, anorexia. How many alcoholics? None, not one. The stigma around yeah. alcoholism is still there. Yeah, it is. Um, and the COA have had their funding completely cut, children of alcoholics. Really? You know, this. yeah. And um, you say about um, alcoholics, it's um, I was asked to do a talk for Barclays Bank, right? Yeah. Uh, and they didn't identify um, alcoholism as a problem in the workplace. 
Right. Okay. Right. So they weren't really keen on the conversation, but um, a friend of mine kept going and going and going. So we had the conversation around um, grey area drinking. Yeah. And we had the conversation and the amount of anonymous emails that came in, like, oh my God, that is so me. I need support. Yeah. And yeah. And it's 2022. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's like, come on, let's sort this yeah. out. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I, you know, if you've got a, a, a multinational organization with a hundred thousand employees, you've got one in 10 functioning alcoholics. And if those alcoholics are working from home, it's starting to become a bit of a gray area now about where the employer's responsibility lies. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that they could be or have a duty of care to people who are, for example, in lockdown in Shanghai for the last, you know, 16 months. They don't want to take responsibility. I mean, um, I don't want to say on air, but there was a bank, uh, just uh, six weeks ago. If you Google it, the employee worked, worked from home. He went from his bedroom to the to the computer fell over broke his leg and claimed on the bank's insurance so wow. so i think there's going to be a real wake-up call where banks will start to see they're going to dress it up like it's going to be a green thing to do right like banks paying in america paying for female employees to go to the next state to have an abortion they're going to say we have a duty of care to our employees and we are going to start creating portals which have mental health and that's going to include addiction and on the slide, they're going to be thinking, we're going to tell our managers how to spot addiction and try and you know, catch people out with a view to helping them, hopefully. Yeah. Because, because it's, it's, it's there. It is massive, honestly. And, um, you know, talking about lockdown, I know you did, uh, animation about lockdown, didn't you? Yeah. It's called COVID. And the amount of people I, I talked to that, um, the drinking escalated from and, and what that made me think of and probably you as well. Is how would I have dealt? Oh, mate, with... I would have been. Go- I would have been gone. I would have been gone. Yeah, I could not have got through yeah. it. I and mean, what's the point? No one's going to see you. Forgot a bottle of wine next to the computer. No one. I'm going to get away. I'm scot free. My my thing is even worse. Like the way I thought of it, how would I get the quantity in the house? Because everything was <laughs> <was shut. laughs> That's where I come from. It was like well, when when the shops were open, I could smuggle it in. I did it in the van. I did it under the bed and whatever. But it would be like Jesus. I'm panicking here because luckily I was um, sober when when it hit. I was a year sober. I think it was 2020, wasn't yeah. it? Um, it started lockdown, and I I was just over a year then. And and that do you know what? That wasn't really a challenge for me. I thought I felt quite safe in that environment of lockdown. But the amount of people I talked to where they were going on Zoom meetings with a a mug of tea, but it's actually a mug of wine, you know? Yeah. Awful. Look, mate, we're coming to the close. Um, It's been brilliant. What what are you doing with your animations? What's coming up now? So um, we're, what I'm trying, I am, I'm taking those animations. I'm, I'm trying to promote them. The little time I've got to promote them. Uh, I'm trying to uh, re-edit them, bringing the feedback that I'm getting from people in, which is very easy to do. I just have to, I do the voiceovers on it. So I just redo the voiceover. And um, I'm watching very closely our current clients uh, who are in banking and, and IT and and, um, and tech uh, to see where their HR policies are going. Because a lot of these companies now have got well-being, you know, and I think it's a hop, skip and a jump from, having a well-being Friday to, to actually having some resources there for people. And I want to be part of that. That's what puts the wind in my sails. You know, I mean, you know, corporate communications is, is all well and good. Uh, sales marketing, promotion, video and animation. Great. But if I can start generating healthcare videos, if I can start getting mental health out there on the agenda through animation, which I think is a, is the most fantastic resource animation. I love it. Then, then that's, what's going to, that's really going to float my boat. That's not like a, a mess, it's a messianic thing. I just think it really needs to be done. I think there's enough around now. So you went on an intellectual quest as well. There's enough around now where we can make an informed choice. Uh, we know what, maybe we, we don't know what maybe the levels of the variables are. We know the variables. We know the genetics. We know the nature versus nurture. We know the way alcohol affects the prefrontal cortex. We know about GABA. We know about dopamine, serotonin, cortisol. We know all this stuff. You know, I think we're on the frontiers of really getting medically into why this happens. And, 
and mm-hmm. and while I'm not sure we're going to be able to find a cure, at least we're we're going to put a little bit of light on it so that people can make an informed choice about whether or not they want to do it. In conjunction with the fact podcasts like yours raise awareness, and maybe maybe people will stay think I can have this next drink, or this can be day one, and from day one it just follows. And honest to God, if there's anybody out there wondering, just uh, it's it's worth so worth doing. You know, you get your life back, mm. you get your life back, and you get back on track. Uh, amen mate, to that. And um, what I was going to say was I've got a talk in a college next month, right? Yeah. And I've already done one there before. So there was 400 students and uh, the afternoon one was sports students. And I, I used to um, play a lot of good standard football. And the way I hit them was that you don't have to get drunk to enjoy yourself and think of your fitness and and stuff. And it worked, right? But I'm already thinking of putting it on my PowerPoint, your addiction animation. So I think that will hit mm. all ages, you know, mm. and I think it's powerful. And uh, without you knowing as well, I've quite often shared it with my clients as oh, well. Great. And they've come back to me and said, oh, that is fantastic. So there's a little bit of uh, credit for you there because I think what you're doing is incredible. Thank you. And I've really, really loved recording this with you. You're, you're a lovely man, I can tell. Uh, and and the work you're doing and your story has been fascinating so thank you so much for joining thanks me, Dave. thank you for the opportunity and and thanks to listeners um for for listening i, I hope it uh it chimed with them and god bless what did dave allen used to say yeah. may your god go with you <laughs> yeah he did a lot of people might know about dave allen. <laughs> uh, yeah, i do though <laughs> because we're the same age but it, it's been really fascinating mate and um when this goes out i make sure the links to your page are on there as well oh. so they can come and find you yeah. out and whatever Brilliant. and spread the word thank okay. you so much quinn thanks dave thank you so much See you later, Cheers, mate. bye bye i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of one for the road please remember to subscribe and leave a review you can now download my app sober dave on the apple and google play store and on there you will find lots of tutorials tips and support